Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we help make families the best they can be. We're pleased to be joined by marriage counsellor and family expert Derek Boylan for what we are calling the Focus Sessions, aimed at helping families with relationship issues. Together with Derek, over a number of these sessions, we will explore the most pressing issues facing families today. We hope you enjoy and find this series valuable. Welcome to the second episode of our Focus Session. Again, it's my great pleasure to welcome back Derek Boylan. Hello, Derek. It's great to be here again, David. Now, Derek, in the last episode, we spoke about the impact coronavirus has been having on families. You shared some strategies to help in the time of lockdown. Today, we turn our attention to one of the most important things in any relationship, and I don't think anyone would disagree with this, and that's communications. Absolutely. I mean, communication is the, the foundation of strong relationships. And so it's, and there's a lot of pitfalls that go with communication, but there's also a lot of practical things that people can do that actually work and that help communication. So it's good to explore some of those things today. Yeah, exactly right. And some people uh, communicate well. I think we could say that about the family home and at work and whatever. Other people struggle. Um, communication is so important. But why is it so important in a particular relationship with, with partners? Absolutely. I think it's important in every relationship, David, and it's uh, especially between partners and, you know, in a relationship like marriage, but also between parents and children. I mean, I think any parent who has a teenager will know how tricky communication can be at times with someone who's moody and doesn't want to communicate. Um, but I guess that the reason why communication is so important is because it's how we make our needs known. It's how we gain information. It's how we convey information to, to other people. It's, I guess, how we clarify our expectations and solve problems. Um, you know, it's central to every aspect of, of family life. And in fact, actually, one of the things that we know is that num- one of the number one predictors of divorce uh, today is the habitual avoidance of conflict. You know, we like to imagine that the couples who uh, separate are arguing all the time and disagreeing with one another and fighting and slammed doors and raised voices. But in fact, what we know is that actually what they do is they just stop talking to one another, that, it, that they stop communicating at all. And they live in very silent homes uh, prior to a divorce most of the time. And so the habitual avoidance of conflict, as ironic as it might sound, is actually the biggest predictor of divorce today. Right. I mean, I've heard of examples where people constantly fight verbally, uh, but they seem to have happy relationships. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and I kind of think, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I experience this often with the couples that I see for counseling is that actually in a funny way, the ones who are arguing a lot have to stand a better chance of actually solving their problems. I mean, there can be toxic arguing that definitely that isn't healthy for relationships, but you know, um, general disagreements and trying to work through problems. Um, you know, they're fighting for something better. They want something better in their relationship. And in a funny way, I kind of hope that every couple, even when they reach the age of 80, they're still looking for something better. They're still wanting more out of their relationship. Um, and uh, and sometimes, you know, I guess those conversations are tricky. They're hard to get right. Yeah, you mentioned habitual avoidance of conflict, which is an interesting term. Is, is that something with, the, with people that you've come across where that's been an issue? Has that been a problem from the start of their relationship or is it just something that's grown over time? Yeah, look, I think it's something that does often start at the very beginning of a relationship and actually probably earlier than that. You know, if someone has had a really bad experience 
of conflict in relationships and family life, you know, early in life, you know, it can create a lot of fear and anxiety about going into new relationships and raising difficult conversations about what that actually might mean for the, for the relationship. But I guess, you know, the reason why couples fall into that pattern of, of not talking and not communicating is just from the experience of what it's like not to be heard by someone. I mean, if you think maybe, David, about a time in your life, um, you know, maybe in childhood even, where, you know, you went to talk to someone about something that was really important to you, maybe a school teacher or a parent or, um, or uh, you know, or later in life, a partner, and that person didn't listen. Um, you know, for you, what were the what were the feelings that sort of came up that uh, that that go with not being heard by someone? How does it feel not to be heard by someone? What's your experience of that? Well, nobody likes that. I mean, everyone wants to be heard. Everyone has a voice. So if you feel like you're being neglected or um, just shoved aside, I think you, your natural reaction is to uh, either get angry or to uh, hide under a rock. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the experience for almost everyone when they feel not heard. They they feel angry, they feel frustrated. Uh, sometimes they feel lonely if they feel that that's the only person that they can talk to. Um, and other times people feel insecure or vulnerable. And, uh, and I guess, you know, if we have the experience in our families where every single time we try to raise a conversation, we feel unheard, and it generates those sort of strong feelings inside of us, the feeling you know, abandoned, feeling lonely, or feeling frustrated, then eventually, actually, we learn to just stop talking. You know, we just stop raising those conversations because it's too painful to, to have those uh, discussions. And I think that's probably the number one reason why people eventually just stop talking in their families. And, uh, and then that really, I guess, erodes the relationships. Okay, Derek, uh, you mentioned uh, conflict avoidance, if I can put it that way, and nobody wants to be ignored or frustrated. So the, the easy answer for a lot of people is just to go quiet which, as you said, doesn't help a relationship. Is it often the case in your experience that one person in any marriage or relationship, uh, in, uh, partners enjoy the occasional verbal stoush, but one person is stronger than the other and that can lead to issues? Yeah, definitely it can be. And it's uh, and, and avoiding conflict isn't necessarily bad. I think that's, uh, I think that's important to say that not all, not all conflict is, is good and not all avoidance of conflict is good either, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. You kind of... You need to pick your battles, I suppose, in relationships, and uh, and certainly, you know, uh, some people are more argumentative than others, and it's uh, and I think in any situation, we need to sort of work out: is this actually really important to me or not? Um, you know, sometimes it's reasonable just to to kind of go, well, I can see this is really important to you, and it, and it's actually not that important to me, and I'm happy to to give you what I want. But yeah. if we make a habit of um, avoiding conflict. And I think we sort of need to look at what that might be about. You know, sometimes it's, um, you know, it's because of the anxiety um, that it can sort of create the thought of sort of going into those conversations and how they might turn out. Often that's been formed, you know, as we were growing up, as I said earlier, you know, if we really witnessed toxic conflict in our homes growing up, it can be really tough. It can be kind of scary to, to have one of those conversations because we're afraid of how uh, it might go, how it might turn out. Um, but I guess it's really important to remember that actually Every single communication in a family relationship, uh, not just the deeper meaningful ones, not just the difficult ones, every single communication is actually what a, what a researcher, John Gottman, refers to as an emotional bid. And uh, so what it means, what he means by that is that most of our communication that, we, that takes place in our homes on any given day is actually not difficult conversations, it's not arguments, it's not deep and meaningful, it's, it's actually pretty 
functional social talk. It's things like, you know, you pass the salt or do you know where I put the car keys? Did you remember ring your mum back? What have you got on today? <laughs> How was your day? It's yeah. pretty ordinary social talk. But I guess the argument that uh, that some researchers are making now is that actually these communications are really important. Even something really as simple as could you pass the salt? Mm. And it's important because whatever comes back when we initiate that kind of conversation has emotional gravity. It's an emotional bid. I'll give you an example. Let's say, for instance, Karen did say to me, we sit down for dinner and Karen says to me, could you pass the salt? Typically, I have three options available to me. Right? One is I could just pass her the salt and go, yeah, sure, here's the salt. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the nice thing. That's the loving thing. And, uh, and Karen goes, thanks, and, uh, and gets on with dinner. A second option is like turning towards her. A second option is to turn away from her, just sort of ignore her. And if she really wants the salt, well, maybe she'll ask again. Uh, men, I've got to say, David, you know, uh, blokes like you and I are more guilty of this response than women is what the research tells us. Right. Um, and typically, we're not intentional about it. We're just sort of, um, you know, we have this experience where maybe this has been your experience. I know it's certainly mine where I'm so engrossed in something and someone says something to me and a few brain cells in my brain go, bing, someone just said something to me. And then the rest of my brain cells say, uh, if it was important, they'll say it again. <laughs> we just sort of like we just sort of brush it off and wait till the person yeah. says it two or three times. But what we have to realize is this is frustrating for the people that we're in relationships with, for our children, for our partners, sure. and everybody else. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. The research suggests that women, when they use that strategy, are, are generally more intentional about it. Yeah. Um, that uh, I'm ignoring you because I'm cranky with you. And there was a, a great study that came out of California um, a couple of years ago, and they found that most men in that situation take approximately 13 minutes to realize they're being punished, right? <laughs> they're being ignored. <laughs> and uh, But either way, it's not a great way to, to respond to someone. And, uh, and then, of course, the third option available to us is to turn against the other person. You know, do you know how bad salt is for you? It's going to harden your arteries. You're the only person who uses salt around here. You know, why don't you get it out of the cupboard when you need it? And, uh, and you know, every time we communicate on any level about any subject, those are the three options that are available to us. We can turn towards the person that's communicating with us. We can turn away from them, ignore them, or we can turn against them. Sure. But I guess what we need to realize is that if, if you know, in 99% of our conversations are made up of these social functional sort of discussions, and in, in most of them, if we turn away or turn against the other person, then really all of those little conversations become a test, you know, that mm-hmm. of whether we can actually have deeper conversations. You know, if I can't talk to you safely about passing the salt, I'm never going to talk to you about the things that are really important to me, the things that have emotional gravity that I really worry about, that I'd really like to resolve. Um, so I guess, you know, when we talk about communication, it's important for us to keep in mind that Everything is important. Every communication is important on every level, every day, not just the deeper, meaningful things or the tricky conversations. They're all yeah. important. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it's a good example about uh, passing the salt. It, it depends how you ask it too. You could say, can you pass the salt in a really sort of uh, offensive nasty way so that your, your partner will know straight away you're not in a good mood. And mm-hmm. uh, you might suddenly put up the barriers and say, no, you can get your own salt. <laughs> yes, yeah, and they're on the back foot immediately, right from the get-go. Exactly. Yeah, That's right. Absolutely. 
I think yeah. that's a good point, David, and it and it uh, and it highlights the fact that you know both people actually have to take responsibility. You know, when we communicate, the person who's raising the issue or the topic actually has to take some responsibility for how they do that, how they express that, and the person at the receiving end, who's at the listening end, also has to take responsibility. Yeah, I mean, and it's the same even with the emails. You can send, you receive an email, think, oh, this person's not happy, and yet the person who sent the email is happy, but they've just worded it badly. Mm, yeah, I think we've probably all been on the receiving end of one of those emails. Well, I've had a couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think that the I think the the advantage, at least with email, is that I can sit on it for a while. I can leave it for half a day and sort of think about how I'm going to word my response. And, uh, and in families, it's much tougher because we're right there face to face sitting across the dinner table and, uh, and it sort of necessitates a more immediate response. And when I feel that defensiveness kick in, it's really hard to, to respond and not react. Yes. And you, you can become defensive and unnecessarily so because you might read into something that's just not there. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think with families, there's interesting research, uh, that was done many years ago and they found that when we communicate, 55% of the message, typically in just a general communication, is visual. It's what we see with our eyes. And it's got nothing to do with our mouth or our ears. 38% of the message is vocal. It's our tone of voice, you know, the yes. way that we're sort of saying it. And only about 7% is verbal, the actual words coming out. And that was research that was done just, you know, on ordinary people, maybe who don't know one another and how they communicate. Um, but I suspect in families, that 7% gets narrower and narrower because we get really good at reading the body language and the tone of voice of the other family members. And so it's sure. very easy to sort of react without really actually listening to the message and hearing what's being said. No, that's right. And tone is so important. Just a slight inflection of the wrong word and mm. uh, your, what you ask for all uh, can have a totally different meaning, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and interpret it a different way. Yeah, that's right. So for couples early on in their relationship, Derek, how important is it to make decisions on things like household chores, who does the vacuuming, who does the washing, who mows the lawns, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's an, that's a great question, David, because um, certainly what the research tells us is that that's one of the top three things that couples argue about the most in the first five years of marriage. So in those really early stages, Try to work out what's the balance between, you know, my time, your time, getting chores done, going to work, visiting our families. How do, how do we balance all of those things and responsibilities is really a tricky journey. And so I think the first thing is just to be patient with themselves yeah. and with each other that this is actually a normal a challenge to sort of work through those things. I guess the best advice that I have is, um, is to treat it as an experiment. You know, not to try and lock things down too, you know, in stone too early in the relationship. You know, sometimes when couples try to work out those things, they sort of come to an agreement. Let's say, for instance, you know, you only have to forget the bin on bin day and uh, one or two times to realize we need to make sure that the bin goes out on the verge. And so yeah. they kind of come to an arrangement, you know, well, that, that'll be your job, you know, his job mm -hmm. or her job. And, and so it's your job. No, that way we're not both trying to do it and both of us forgetting that it's one person's job and they've just got to remember it. A reminder in their phone or whatever it might be. Yeah. And then, and then somehow that sort of decision gets locked in stone sort of forever. And, um, and I guess, you know, couples should really treat these things with an experiment, as an experiment when they come up, especially in the early stages. If they sort of go, well, let's try this and let's see if that works for a month. And if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll do something different. Um, you know, an example in our, in our marriage was at the very beginning of our marriage. Um, 
Karen would manage most of our finances. And, right. uh, and so when it came to, you know, I was the primary wage earner, but Karen was really the one who did most of the shopping and paid the bills and put money aside and, you know, and initiated conversations about you know, when we should purchase our home and those sorts of things. And, uh, and that was great. Suited me very well. And yeah. uh, I didn't yeah. have to do yeah. too much of the work in that regard. Yeah. But, you know, a few years ago, um, as our family grew and, uh, and of course we homeschool and, uh, and Karen works as a speech pathologist, you know, she just really realized that it was just too much on her plate to try and do that as well. And yeah. we sat down and, uh, and had a conversation and Karen said, look, can you, can you take over managing our finances? Um, because it's just really hard for, to, for me to do it on my own. And, um, and I said, sure, that, that's no problems at all. And, and so I took it over. But, you know, it was an experiment, you know, and it took a little while, about six months for us to adjust to that change because I do things differently. You know, Karen had a way of organizing the accounts and when things got paid, how and what money got put aside, where to pay for different things, you know, whether it was rates or whatever it might be. And yeah. uh, and I kind of thought, okay, uh, I see how Karen used to do it, but I'm kind of going to do it a different way. And, mm. uh, and so for us, just communicating about that and adjusting to those changes uh, took a little bit of time. And so I always encourage couples, treat it as an experiment. Just try things out. Don't lock them in stone. You know, you can always come back and and uh, and change and do things another way. And that's the great thing about being human being. Yeah, it's all about negotiation, isn't it? It's uh, one of those things. Is sometimes no right or wrong. Everyone has a different way of doing things, and uh, you know, your your partner might have a better way of doing it. And that's when it's uh, good to uh, uh, open your ears and uh, listen. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Mm. Now, no one likes to be criticised. We've sort of touched on this already, but isn't it often a standard response that we do put up the shutters when we're being chastised? Um, how important is it to listen to the other person's point of view? Look, listening is really, really important. In fact, it's probably one of the most powerful things anyone can do in their relationship when it comes to communication. Uh, and, you know, when we're receiving criticism, you're absolutely right. It's really difficult to, to hear. And the natural human response, almost always, in any situation, when we feel that we're being criticized, the natural human reaction to that is resistance, defensiveness. We want to push back against that. You know, hang on a minute. And you don't understand the situation. Or what about my feelings? If you want to sort of push back against that. You know, we have an innate, um, I guess, defensiveness inside of us when we feel that we're being attacked in some way. And so I guess the first sort of thing that we need to do is, um, is to really sort of learn to, to resist our own reacting so that we can sort of respond to situations that we're faced with in difficult conversations rather than just reacting to them. Yes. Um, you know, an example would be just the other night in our home, we have a sort of a set routine at bedtime. Usually Karen will say, do you want to go to bed? Or I'll say, do you want to go to bed? And, and there's a few things that need to happen. You know, we feed the cat and we turn off the lights and we give the kids some kiss goodnight and brush our teeth and we finally get into bed. Yeah. And, um, and so Karen said to me, you know, you, you want to go to bed? And I said, yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll go brush my teeth. And so I sort of walked out of the room and Karen, I think, thought that I just left her to do everything else to, you know, feed the cat and kiss a kiss goodnight and turn yeah. all the lights off. And she's like, he just, he just went to bed and left me to do it all. <laughs> and so she, uh, so she called out and she said to me, you know, have you fed the cat? Now they were the words that came out of her mouth, but I can tell you right now, she was not asking about the cat. <laughs> Instantly, I could feel the hairs go up on the back of my neck. I thought you're having a go at me. You just think I've just walked off and left you to do everything around here. Yeah. And um, but when I really thought about it, I thought you know there's actually nothing wrong with what she said. You know, she just asked, "Have I fed the cat?" 
And uh, and rather than sort of reacting and getting defensive because I thought that she was attacking me, instead I just called out and I said, look, no, I haven't. I'm just brushing my teeth and I'll be, I'll be back to give the cat some food in a minute. And immediately the situation was disarmed, you know, it, yeah. uh, and everything was fine and Karen knew I had just abandoned her and left her to do everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess, that, yeah. That is that is an important skill, isn't it? You've used the word disarm. Uh, it's so important. Some people do it really well. Some people don't. But just disarming the situation and calming everything down as quickly as you can. Mm. I think, you know, it's uh, what we sometimes lose sight of is that actually the person who listens in any communication has the most power to influence its success. And, uh, um, you know, on one level, uh, we know that sort of in our head, you know, in the, that if, um, if someone's not very good at communicating, they're struggling to express how they feel, a really good listener can make up for that. A really good listener can say, you know, is this what you mean or is this what you're trying to say? And, and to help that person to express what they want to say. Um, but also if a person is a really great communicator, they could be the best communicator in the world, but if the other person doesn't want to listen, mm. that's not going to work. Nothing's going to happen there. Yes. So listening and developing the skill of listening is really important and it's hard to do because often – we actually want to be at the other end. We, we're feeling frustrated because we feel that we're not getting heard, um, that people aren't listening to what we're saying. And yet, actually, if we can sort of put that on hold a little bit and really just stop and uh, pay attention to what the other person is saying uh, and, and sort of communicate that we're hearing what they're saying, then that has the greatest success of actually uh, softening the conversation, allowing people to feel that they're being heard and understood and, and for two people, whether it's a parent or a child or whether it's a couple, to be able to actually really be able to hear one another and get some headway. Well, it's affirming what the, the, your partner is saying and you're not dismissing them, which is just mm. so important. Mm. Absolutely. I agree entirely, yeah. Uh, and no one likes to be dismissed. No. No, my, my mother, I remember years ago, used to uh, accuse my father of having uh, selective hearing and uh, my father's comeback was, uh, no, no, I'm I, I just uh, going deaf, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be my parents as well. Dad has uh, significantly resisted getting a, uh, a hearing aid. <laughs> I yeah. think that's intentional. <laughs> well, even, even if you have a hearing aid, you can turn it off, I believe. So, <laughs> oh, That's right, Yes. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, sorry, dear. I forgot that I didn't have my hearing aid on. That's right. It's a, it's a good excuse, but it's an excuse that will only uh, last uh, so, for so long, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. And much better to have some good skills for being able to listen. Exactly right. So uh, listening, you've talked about listening and how important it is. Is there anything else that you can recommend um, people should do? Uh, especially if they're having some sort of issues and, you know, it's like two people just talking at each other rather than listening to each other. Is there anything else you could suggest? Yeah, look, I think there's some, some simple things that, uh, that any couple can do to develop their listening skills. And interestingly, they'll find that as they work on their listening skills, they'll also find that they feel like they're getting heard more as well, you know, that, uh, that as they listen to the other person, it takes the sting out of the conversation and the other person is more open to reciprocating and hearing what they've got to say. So I guess a few things. I guess the first thing is that, when we feel criticized, um, we feel attacked. But in a funny way, criticism actually most of the time in a family is really a request for help. It's just that they have no other way of saying it. Um, you know, if I, Karen spent the whole day um, cleaning the lounge room and I walk in after work and, uh, and five minutes after I arrive, my shoes and my socks are lying in the middle of the floor and I'm parked on the couch. Um, and she says to me, you know, I can't believe you left your socks on the floor. 
that uh, it feels like criticism. I feel defensive. But yeah. what she's really doing is she's actually asking for help. She's sort of saying, you know what? I spent the whole day cleaning up here. And, uh, and five minutes after you come home, you know, your clothes are in the middle of the floor. And, you know, I need your help to sort of to solve this. If we can yeah. sort of hear criticism as actually a request for help, it softens our response. You know, it's not very nice to hear it that way. And certainly we react to the, the body language and the tone of voice. But if yes. we can realize that this person's frustrated, they're trying to say something important. And I can listen to that. And then it, uh, it takes a little bit of the sting out of the criticism. Yeah. So it's sort of like turning what you might perceive initially as a negative question or a negative statement into a positive, just turning your whole thinking around. Mm, absolutely. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a story that, um, a psychologist in the US, George Gout, uh, George Daub, um, sometimes has used in the past. And, uh, and I, and I really quite like it. It's about a two little boys and, uh, and they are the most, miserable little boys that you can ever imagine having as a parent. They fight and they argue and they break things and, and their parents have tried everything. They've done everything that they can think of to try and, um, you know, change their, their children's, their son's behavior. And eventually they realize that, you know what, we've tried everything. Christmas is coming. And this year, I think, you know, it's probably going to be the case that Santa isn't going to visit. Right. Um, because their behavior has been so bad. And, uh, and so, uh, on Christmas morning, these two little boys wake up and they're so excited. This is the, the best day of the year. And they race downstairs to the Christmas tree. And when they get there, underneath the Christmas tree, all that there is, is a pile of manure. Oh dear. And, uh, yeah. And the first, uh, the older son, he is heartbroken. He knows that they have been the naughtiest, most miserable siblings that any parents could ever have. And, uh, and this year there are no Christmas presents and he is heartbroken. He bursts into tears. And his little brother, he starts running around. He's excited. He goes into the backyard. He goes in the front yard. He goes looking in the kitchen, the laundry and everywhere else in the house. And, and the big brother sort of says to him, says, you know, mate, there's no presents this year. Like we've been too naughty. <laughs> and, uh, and his, uh, his little brother sort of says, listen, with a pile of manure that big, there's got to be a pony here somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, you know, really, this is actually the art of really good listening, you know, yes. in uh, tough situations. Sometimes when we're trying to communicate, what we feel that we're receiving is actually a pile of crap. You know, mm. we feel that we're just getting a heap of manure. And, uh, and, it, and we feel defensive about that. But, you know, the thing about that is that you can't have a pile of manure without a pony. That almost mm. always in our families, when we feel that we're getting, you know, uh, a response, you know, or a request that seems unreasonable, it's not very nice, it's difficult to hear. Actually, the person is trying to say something positive, but they just don't have a very good way of expressing it. Yes. So the art of really good listening is actually learning how to look for the pony. Right. Is that as the, as this person is saying this, I can feel that defensive reaction inside of me and to kind of go, all right, this doesn't feel very good, but there is a pony here somewhere. They're trying right. to say something positive. If I can find a way of looking for it and responding to that. Um, you know, if, uh, if Karen was to say, you know, oh, I can't believe you left your socks on the floor and I was to look around and I feel a bit defensive inside. I've only just sat down. Like, you know, I've only been home five minutes. Yes. But instead I look around and sort of say, oh, you really put some work into cleaning this room today. You know, immediately the sting comes out of that conversation, you know, and, uh, and it, yeah. uh, it goes more smoothly. Yep. And I guess a couple of other practical tips though. 
One is to not interrupt. Uh, you know, interrupting is a surefire way of showing that you're not really listening and that you're more interested in just pushing your view on uh, onto the other person. Yes. Um, you know, and as we've talked about over the course of uh, of um, this session, just being aware of our own body language and what it's communicating. So if we're really trying to listen, you know, making sure we face the other person, putting the TV on mute or, um, you know, the game aside and, uh, and giving them our full attention. And I think maybe one of the most important things that we can do is to practice checking the message. You know, when we listen, our ears are not very expressive, you know, so it's really hard to know if the other person is actually really taking in what it is that we're saying. Yeah. And, uh, and the easiest way to, to communicate that we're listening is every now and then to just put into our own words what it is that we think that we're hearing. You know, to say to the other person, all right, if I get you right, what you're saying is this, or let me see, is this what you're telling me that you want? You know, I really encourage couples and families really get into the habit of making that a daily practice in your life. Whenever you communicate or anyone communicates to you, just check the message. Just, you know, someone says, oh, could you get the milk? Just say to them, you want me to pick up the milk on the way home? You know, they know that you've heard, you've got the message, you reinforce it in your own mind, and so you're more likely to be able to follow up on that. You know, you'd be surprised if you make a habit of checking the message, how often actually the other person will say, no, that's not what I mean at all. I'm trying to say something else. Mm. And then as a, as a couple, as a family, you get closer to getting to the heart of the matter, the guts of what's really going on. Yes. It's also really reassuring. You know, when someone checks the message with us, it communicates to us, all right, they might not agree with me, but at least they are trying to understand, and that really helps, you know, most communication. Yeah, no, no, that, that's a good point. Look, I think we're almost out of time, but this communication or the subject of communication, Derek, is so important. We're coming back for another session um, and getting into some of the nitty-gritty around emotions. Looking forward to that. Oh, me too. I think emotions are, I mean, uh, are really powerful and they drive our behaviour, they influence every aspect of family life, and I think... Uh, talking about those difficult emotions and how to handle them and how to express them is uh, is really important for healthy families. Looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Derek. You too, David. Thank you.